0: So, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. George Giddis. Dr. Giddis is the Benjamin R. Fisher Chair of Pediatric Surgery and Surgeon in Chief at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. He's also Director of Surgical Research at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Professor of Surgery and Pediatrics at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Dr. Giddis, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you. So, I know that your research focuses on pancreatic issues. Can you give us a brief introduction to your research and where you are?
1: So, my research focus is really on the pancreatic beta cell, the endocrine cell in the islet, in the islets of Langerhans that produces insulin. Originally, because of my interest in pediatric surgery, I started looking at the embryology of the pancreas, but as things evolved, it became clear that in the adult pancreas, the function of the beta cell, its ability to replicate much better targets of research to translate to the bedside. The adult beta cell, in particular, the factors that control their proliferation, has been the primary focus for the last 5 to 10 years. We also do some work with the exocrine pancreas related to pancreatitis as well.
0: So is your research focused on pediatrics or adult pancreas?
1: It's really focused on across both boards, but any translational trials that we would do would be in adults because of the difficulty with getting trials in in children primarily. We have some therapeutic avenues that we're pursuing with the goal of getting to clinical trials.
0: So what's the the state-of-the-art
1: The -the state-of-the-art now is not great. There are medicines that can be given to diabetic patients that presumably help a little bit in their ability to grow new beta cells. The stem cell world has not really panned out just as yet in terms of engineering various forms of stem cells to turn into insulin-producing cells. There's been a lot of success in animal studies, but there appears to be a, a big hurdle that we can't get over, and that is how to make the cells that we create from stem cells turn into true insulin-producing beta cells. What we make now are relatively immature cells that aren't great functionally, and that can be dangerous because if you give a cell to a patient that doesn't sense the glucose properly and produces insulin inappropriately, they can have hypoglycemic crisis. And then the problem is that for some reason when we put these cells in vivo in about six months to two years, they do finally become mature, but this isn't really a tenable situation or, or option for humans at this point.
0: Any clue as to why there's this long lead or lag time, rather?
1: That's a great question, no, and a lot of people are wondering the same thing. The simple thought is that there's just some factor or factors in vivo that eventually do turn them into these mature cells. The process does not happen in vitro. So presumably it's something about either whether it's a vascularization or fluctuation of of hormones or other things that might be unique to the in vivo environment that lead to this eventual maturation, but it's really unknown, unfortunately, at this time.
0: So is the vision to treat or to cure diabetes by this procedure you're working on?
1: My procedure would potentially cure diabetes. Basically, the therapy that we are pursuing involves gene therapy. The gene therapy primarily for now is the typical one which is using an adeno-associated viral packaging and delivery system to introduce cells into the pancreas that will then turn into insulin cells. The unique features of our therapy are, one, that the target cells that turn into the insulin cells are the existing cells that make the other major hormone of the pancreas called glucagon, and uh, these cells are also called alpha cells are particularly detrimental in diabetes because in the absence of good insulin production, they are the counter-regulatory hormone is glucagon, but in the absence of insulin, that counter-regulation becomes a problem and tends to exacerbate their hyperglycemia. So it's a win-win if we can turn these potentially negative alpha cells into beta cells in the sense of getting rid of the bad ones and and adding the good ones. The unique feature of our therapy that was very surprising was when we turned to a model of autoimmune diabetes, similar to juvenile diabetes. The cells that turned into the insulin-producing beta cells, we expected to be attacked by the autoimmune system just like the normal beta cells are attacked. But surprisingly and serendipitously, they were not. And they survived several months in mice as normal cells. And this represented a great opportunity for therapy in diabetics. The other thing that's unique about our system is that we deliver the virus retrograde into the pancreatic duct that drains the juices into the intestine. That procedure is done uh, routinely in hospitals without surgery using a through-the-mouth type approach where the tube goes down and then infuses into the pancreatic duct. So this therapy could, in theory, be done as an outpatient procedure, and much higher doses of virus can be given that way and much safer.
0: So Dr. Guinness, this is very interesting. Uh, Can you share your vision in terms of where this is likely to go and perhaps what the time frame is?
1: My vision is that this procedure will not only work, but will allow further research to streamline it and perhaps avoid the need for virus. And in fact, I'm actually collaborating with Dr. Catherine Whitehead from Carnegie Mellon, whom I met last year at the McGowan retreat where we talked about using lipid nanoparticles instead of viruses as a much safer and more effective way to deliver it. Either way, I do see this as a great opportunity for a novel and breakthrough therapy for diabetes, both type 1 and type 2.
0: Congratulations on the progress you've made, and we wish you well as you pursue this. I also know that you have a big initiative in terms of looking at pediatric devices, and perhaps the adaptation of some of the technologies that have matured in other areas to pediatrics. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I think this is a very important initiative that has been basically fostered by the McGowan Institute in collaboration with Children's Hospital that started about three years ago as a the Pediatric Device Initiative. I have followed in the footsteps of Dr. Peter Wearden, who was heavily involved with McGowan and was the initial physician champion for this. But the focus early on was more related to cardiopulmonary devices. But now in the next phase, which I am more or less orchestrating, in collaboration with Patrick Cantini and Jeremy Kimmel from the McGowan, is to bring in a wide variety of pediatric physicians doing research on devices and similar innovative therapies, and we have been very successful in that. For example, last year at the McGowan retreat, there were over 30, I believe, children's physicians attending, whereas previous meetings had never had more than two or three. And the enthusiasm has continued to build since then, with I think over 50 projects now being listed in the Pediatric Device Initiative, sponsored by collaboration between children's physicians and individuals at the McGowan and School of Bioengineering and CMU. And most recently, we had, for the first time, a pediatric-specific retreat that was attended by over 200 people, consisting of the Children's Hospital representation and the School of Engineering and McGowan. And it was a great success. It was a full afternoon followed by a reception, and we're hoping to make that an annual event. I think the goal here will be to start launching true trials and projects that represent collaboration across these three entities or more that will garner support from NIH or other entities in lieu of support from industry.
0: So as I look at the uh, program that you put together, it seems to cover many areas, the tissue engineering, I see some work on pediatric stents, I also see some work in terms of wound healing and various types of tissue engineering strategies, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so this year's session here at the Retreat in Nemicolon is focusing on scaffolding. We thought that these represented some of the more mature collaborative projects that based at Children's Hospital, and we are trying to encourage new ideas and new thoughts from the audience as they think about their specific areas of research and moving forward. And uh, we want this session, which is the first kind for us as pediatric physicians, to really promote uh, in a specific way, in an interactive way greater and greater collaborations across these three entities. I think in my tenure as the physician champion for the Pediatric Device Initiative, there's been a fairly brisk upswing in enthusiasm and number of collaborations between Children's and the McGowan in particular. And I would say that prior, the McGowan was a bit of a, a black box for many of the physicians in at Children's, not really knowing what was going on over there and who the people were. And I think that's changed quite a bit.
0: Dr. Giddes, thank you for joining us and sharing your vision in terms of your personal research, but also the, the leadership that you're providing to the Pediatric Device Initiative. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining. i you we welcome suggestions at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Thank you for listening.